the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today it is my great pleasure to travel to the wine hills of the Valpolicella Classica to meet my guest today, Antonio Cesari from Azienda Agricola Brigaldara. Antonio is a fourth generation of the Cesari family to be involved in the running of this historic wine estate where vines have been cultivated for at least a thousand years. Thanks for being my guest today, Antonio. I look forward to our conversation. How are you? Thank you so much. Today is a very cloudy morning in in Valpolicella, but it's always nice to get the chance to to chat and to discuss about wine in front of a fire. Yes, that sounds very nice, ideally with a glass of your Amarone. You know, every time, every, every moment of the day, is a perfect timing for a glass of Amarone. Oh, that's true. So <laughs> yes. why not? Yes. Why not? Let's talk about, for our listeners, um, Antonio, can you give us a picture of this beautiful vinescape uh, in the heart of the Valpolicella Classica, where your winery is located, just so that our listeners can imagine themselves there with you? You know, Valpolicella is a special place because, uh, mainly because of the terraces. The hills are pretty deep, pretty high, and the only way we found out to cultivate them has been to build this wall of stone called Marogne in uh, Verona dialect in order to to get the chance to get the hill worked in horizontal way instead of vertical. It's a big terrace that is going up uh, to the hill full of vineyards and olive trees and cherry trees. Actually, that's a really, really good description, Antonio. And I think it is important for our listeners to understand these marogne, these dry stone walls that have been constructed over centuries to, as you say, shape the land so that the vines can be planted. And it is so beautiful. It gives such a beautiful, suggestive vinescape for people that visit and so different from vineyards that are on the Pianura, which of course is also why the wine is so different, why the wine is so good. Now, Antonio, tell us now about the story of Brigaldara, of your family's story. You know, my family story starts for pretty far away uh, because my great-grandfather was originally from Tuscany. Between the two wars, he moved to Verona and he bought Brigaldara as a summer house. So they used to make wine just for hobby, uh, just for the family. I've never tasted, obviously, the wines of my great-grandfather. I tasted the wine of my grandfather and he was a very good winemaker. I need to admit that the, the 70s, are pretty nice. Then in the 80s, my father was really bored about the other job. So he decided to rent the land of the family 
and to start making wine for business. So technically, Brigaldari is in the market uh, since the 80s, uh, so since my father, uh, which is still the boss, absolutely, 100% the boss. Uh, since uh, about 15 years ago, more or less, uh, me and my brother, we started working with him, trying to improve, trying to grow up. Uh, with him and to give uh, a future to this uh, business. Uh-huh. It's not a long story. Well, that's really interesting um, that it began as a summer house from your great-grandfather coming from Tuscany. And I'm, I'm assuming he wasn't a wine grower in Tuscany then? Yeah, no, it, he was absolutely not a farmer. There's there's always been a, a passion of farming and cultivating vineyards and, and soil in the family. Uh, we also have, my, my grandfather also bought another property in the southern part of Verona, which is corn production. Uh, completely different kind of farming, but it's always, it has been always part of, uh, of the family to be part of the agriculture. Actually, that's really interesting. And, and it's interesting that, as you say, it's a relatively recent story. But also, I think, What's important to note is that the story of quality Valpolicella and Amarone is also relatively recent, even though this is a wine that can antecedents going back to the Roman times, the monastery on your own vineyards, which you say would, would have been producing wine a thousand years ago. But this new renaissance of Valpolicella is relatively recent, and your family have been very much a part of that. In fact, your family are part of the prestigious Familie Storiche of the Valpolicella, the original families that helped to put the wines of this area on the world wine map. Tell us about the Familie Storica and what it represents to your family. Yeah, so uh, as you said, uh, I totally agree. The, uh, the Valpolicella became the Valpolicella that we know in the uh, late 80s, early 90s because of a group of young producers that were part of the consortium in that period, that they started uh, um, working uh, for a promotion of Valpolicella. And I'm not talking about the Valpolicella of the the Familia, I'm talking about uh, the the consortium. In the 90s, the president were uh, were Speri, were... uh, uh, Emilio Pasqua, where, where my, my father has been the president of the consortium. And in that period, the world discovered that Ival Policella was part of the wine world map, and everybody started looking for the Amarone. Then in 2009, with other historical wineries, we decided to cooperate, either if we are in competition, to promote the wines of the region all around the world. Everything started uh, about 15 years ago, more or less, uh, with Masi, Allegrini, Zenato, Begalli, Speri, Tommasi, and we're 13 in total. I'm not gonna uh, try <laughs> to nominate all of them because I'm sure I will, do, I will forget somebody. Um, that's the idea. It's a group of friends that since 30 years ago, uh, they are working together. And now we are part of the same association in order to promote uh, um, the wines of the region. 
uh, all around the world. Well, that's actually a very good explanation of the familie storiche. And I think it is very important for consumers, for wine drinkers to understand the companies, the families, the individuals who have worked so hard to raise the reputation of Valpolicella, which is one of the great wines of Italy. Well, let's turn to wine. Let's turn to your estates because you have vineyards in different parts of the Valpolicella and the Valpantena. So tell us a little bit briefly about the estates and about the most important wines that you're producing. You know, the story of Brigaldara is not that long as we were talking about. My my great-grandfather bought uh, the house and five hectares in, um, around the house. Since the 90s, because of the success of the region and because of the job that my father was making, we grew up and it was almost impossible to grow 100% around Brigaldara or in Valpolicella Classico area. So we started thinking about uh, uh, growing up all around the regions, looking for new vineyards and new production. So Brigaldara, the, the Brigaldara a single vineyard, single parcel is now 10 hectare. But then we planted uh, in my grandmother properties. So still part of the family, but the other side of the family, Cavolo and Casevece, which are in Valpantena and which are the other two a single vineyard Amarone that we are making. And then we we got also some vineyard in, uh, in Marcellese, so the eastern side, far east, and another facility very close to downtown Verona. The idea is that it's in Valpolicella. It's not just Valpolicella Classica that makes quality, it's the hill. And the hills are all around the Valpolicella Classica, the Valpantena, and the oriental part of the Valpolicella. So we are looking for quality, and the quality is up to the heel. I guess as well, Antonio, in an area such as Valpolicella, where the risk of hail is ever-present, and I know that, that this year there has been some hail damage and, you know, for some producers, having vineyards in different sites is one way to help safeguard against that. Yeah, it's a way to, <laughs> technically, is a way to be sure that every year you will have some damages. But on the other way, is a way to be sure that you will not destroy everything. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of a balance. Sure. And unfortunately, it's something we need to, we need to, to, to think about because climate change is, is, mm, it's, it's absolutely going to, um, to increase the, the temperature of the world, but it's also that the first thing that we are facing in the last decade is that everything is going to become extreme. So, Antonio, with the extreme weather we've been experiencing all around the world, but particularly in Italy over the last summers, how is climate change, how is global warming affecting you as a wine producer? We need to work with it and we cannot control it. So we just need to, to hope um, and try to be as ready as possible anytime we need to go on the field. Obviously, as we were talking about uh, all the different vineyards of Brigaldara, we are sure that if the storm is coming, we're not going to lose everything. On the other side, it's really possible that we will have some damages every year because we have the vineyards spread it out all around the region. Okay, I can see that, yeah, that's a double-edged sword. It, it, it means damage 
almost guaranteed, but also a guarantee that you'll have a good harvest in other vineyards. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind of an insurance. You need to pay something to get something back. <laughs> That's the idea. Yeah, sure. Antonio, can you tell us and share with our listeners the range of wines that you make from starting from the straight Valpolicella up to the Amarone and Ricciotto, just so our listeners can understand the styles of wine that Brigodara is producing. We uh, we decided many years ago that we we wanted to follow the tradition. We wanted to make traditional style wine, so we decided to make only traditional style wine. Uh, so we make a Valpolicella, a Valpolicella Superiore, the Ripasso, four kinds of Amarone and the Recioto. And we do not make any uh, Appassimento style wine or IGT or whatever you want to call it. We want the wine to be easy drinking. We want the wine to be enjoyed by the people we, because the wine is born to be on the table, is born to be drinked with food. So that's the philosophy that covers the food production of Brigaldaro. Uh, the Valpolicella is fresh, it's crispy, it's easy drinking. It's, it's the wine that you, if you don't know what to drink, it's always a fantastic choice. Then we have the Superiore, which is going to become a Grand Cru Valpolicella. The idea is to make that kind of wine. So the same idea of drinkability of the Valpo, much more complexity. And this is a wine that we make in, a, in, in Casa Vece. That's our most important single vineyard, and it's going to become probably our business card in the wine world. That's very interesting that the Valpolicella Superiore, it's such an important wine and such a, a drinkability. It's such a, an important word, I think, in describing these beautiful wines that are so approachable and so friendly with food, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. Then you were mentioning the ripasso. Tell us about this style. Ripasso is, you know, ripasso is probably the most, it's going to become the most drinked wine of the region because everybody is looking for a kind of Amarone less big, uh, less strong than the Amarone. We are still thinking that the ripasso needs to be big Valpolicella, not a young Amarone. So we are looking for the acidity and the freshness of the Valpo Obviously, with this touch of taste of dry grapes that gives you the uh, the idea of sweetness because there's no sugar in these wines. We, we want absolutely to make wine completely without sugar. My nutritionist is very happy about it. Okay. And so finally, let's talk then about your Amarone. Yeah, the Amarone is the Amarone, is the king of or the queen, I think is more a queen than a king of this region. And as I said before, we have many different vineyards, many different special vineyards, their whole crew. And we decided not to make an entry and a reserva, but to show up the differences between the vineyards because the wine is coming from, us, from the soil, from the spot, from the parcel. And this is why we make three different crew. We do the Amarone Classico of Brigaldara from the single vineyard of Brigaldara. We make Cavolo in Grezzana in Valpantena. And then we have Casavece. That's our high altitude vineyard above Grezzana, 
in the middle of a forest. So three very different styles of wines. Three different vineyards. One is Brigaldara is uh, west exposed. Cavolo is east exposed uh, in a different valley. Casavecchi is high altitude. And all of them, they have something to give to the wine and to the table and to the food. So it doesn't make sense to blend them. It's, it's really interesting and really, really funny to show up that different vineyards make a different wine, which is something that is pretty common if you talk about Piedmont or Burgundy. It's not that common if you talk about Valpolicella. People think that in Valpolicella, we make the wine in the cellar. Uh, because of the appassimento that can change everything, because of the aging that is pretty long. But it's not true. It's not true. The wine is coming from the vineyard, and there's a, such a huge difference between vineyard and vineyard. Okay, that is really in- interesting and very important for um, listeners to understand about this concept of cru and terroir in both the wines made from the fresh grapes as well as the wines that are made from the dried grapes. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. Tell us a little bit about the appassimento because I'm imagining right now that you have um, your frutai full of grapes and this is a very critical period for you as well it's critical in its own way as the when the grapes are still on the vine you know the appassimento is uh, is waiting it's the same as with every great glass of wine you need the way you need to wait the wine to be ready as you need to gra- need the grape to be ready um, this year has been pretty challenging uh, you know, the tradition of the Appassimento talks about the, the famous 100 days of waiting. You know, this year we had a, a very hot September and October. So the percentage of water that you lost in the first period has been pretty strong. But you need to wait. You need to wait because the grape, uh, the, the Appassimento is not just a concentration of juice. It's not just... Uh, losing water but it's all of those macerations and biochemical things that happen to the skin in order to give the taste of the dry grapes so if you press the grape in october you will make a high alcohol valpolicella because you need the maceration of the skin to give the taste of the dry grapes to the wine so you need to wait either if the grape is high sugar, either if the grape is, um, is ready, and either if you're going to lose the quantity that you need to wait. You need to wait the, to chill the grape. You need to wait until January in order to get the best quality Amarone as possible. Okay, that's fascinating. That's a really good description as well, and an indication for our listeners that it is that this process of a passimento is a very precise and skilled one. And as you say, with vintage variations, because of the state that the grapes come into the drying process, depending on how the season has gone. Antonio, you mentioned something very important. You said that wine is is meant for the table. And the wines that you 
are producing. Um, it's this drinkability that's so important. Can we turn now to the gastronomy of the Valpolicella and of the typical piatti tipici of the area? Some of the dishes and foods that pair really well with your wines, maybe also even looking to more international flavors that match well with the wines of Brigaldara. So I don't need to say, I don't have to say to anybody that the main dish for the Amarone and in Valpolicella is the horse. We will be listening also in the United States, or I can talk about it. No, you can speak about that. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's something I eat when I, when I visit uh, the Valpolicella. I'm in England and it's not something that is very popular here. But nonetheless, it's important because it's a traditional dish in the region. Yeah, you know, it's... Um... Uh, Northern Italy, as now, is a very wealthy and rich area. But until the the explosion of economy of the 60s, this used to be a very poor area of agriculture. And just remember that until 1945, we are being pretty strongly destroyed by the biggest world of of our history till now. So the, the tradition of Valpolicella and the tradition of, of this region is a tradition of uh, very poor food. So we used to eat uh, what there used to be. So polenta, uh, pork, and soppressa, and all of those kind of dishes. So for sure, the, the wine has always been thinked with, with the food. For the table, as I was talking about before, the wine as is a wine pairing. As I said before, we have the tradition of the braised meat that could be either pork, horse, or cow. That is a phenomenal way to drink the Amarone. That is pretty powerful. But we also have a huge and strong tradition of charcuterie. With the soppressa from Verona, we have some ham from Verona, we have some cheeses that are pretty important uh, up to the up to our mountains which are phenomenal pairing for the fresh valpolicella for the superiore but also for the recciotto instead it's this that everybody used to consider just for after dinner or for for dessert but the recciotto either if it's pretty sweet has got a very strong acidity and body so it's phenomenal also to be paired with with the pork which is sweety because of the fat, but also salty because of the meat. Wow, that's a fascinating pairing. I never would have considered. As you say, most people think of the ricciotto to have perhaps with a lightly sweet dessert or even just on its own as a vino da meditazione, a wine to sip in front of the fire, as you were suggesting earlier. Yeah, it's because I am in front of a fire in, the, in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, oh, the, oh. yes, uh, people think about it, but ricciotto is not just a passito. You know, the appassimento, if you think about the appassimento in southern Italy, that's just losing water because it's a 20 days of radiation uh, up to the sun because they got a strong sun up to September. The ricciotto is different. The ricciotto is a longer way of drying which give the maceration as is the same way as the amarona and the result is that the wine is sweet but not that sweet still with a good acidity and a, a little 
more body that balance everything. So try the Rechotto with the Suppressor, mainly. You know, the Suppressor from Verona has got a lot of white side, so that, that means that it's sweet. But there are some restaurants in Valpolicella that also makes the risotto with the Rechotto. Yes, yes. So a salty dish, which is obviously a little bit oh. sweeter uh, than the average. Sometimes it could be poured after the main course, before the dessert. So it's kind of a second main, but it's really interesting. Wow, that's that's really, really fascinating. That's a really good overview of some of the typical foods of the area that all our listeners should try when they visit. Now, speaking of visiting, Antonio, tell us about hospitality at Brigaldara. Of, uh, can our listeners come and visit you? Absolutely. We're always open. We have been always open at the at the wine shop, at the winery. But since uh, July this year, we finally opened our hospitality project in Casavece, where we make the Amarone Casavece and the Valpolicella Superiore Casavece. We finally have now also the chance to offer a nice lunch in the vineyard, the chance to sleep in the vineyard because we have a couple of apartments. That, that sounds absolutely fabulous. This is the Casavecchia, which is at the high altitude. Is that right? Yes. We want Casavecchia to become a point in the map of every sportman that is coming to Verona because Casavecchia is not just a vineyard. It's a forest, 100 hectare forest, very close to Verona. It's like 10 kilometers north, 500 meters above the sea level in the middle of a forest. So it's the paradise of the outdoor sport people, hiking, trekking, biking, uh, in around uh, the soil. It, it's crazy. So we want uh, the Locanda, the Agriturismo, to become the place where every sportman of Verona want to come up, have food and relax. That sounds absolutely fabulous. That's just the sort of way that I like to enjoy the wine country, living in the midst of the vines, being able to enjoy the beauty of this special landscape. And of course, at the same time, to be able to sample the wines produced on the estate from vineyards around uh, where one is staying. Antonio, it's been a great pleasure chatting with you this morning. You've taken us directly into the world of the Valpolicella, which is such a beautiful and special place. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being my guest today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Mark. Absolutely. I'm waiting for all of you guys uh, to visit us, to get a, a cheer of um, and a glass of Amarone together at the Locanda or in Brigaldara. Maybe we can go up biking all together. Oh, I, I love cycling, so that would be fun. Yeah, cycling from one side to the other of Regaldara. I'm waiting for you. That sounds wonderful. And I'm going to certainly take you up on that. And I'm sure our listeners will too. But in the meantime, I hope uh, you have a great holiday season. And I look forward to seeing you sometime next year. Grazie, Antonio. Grazie mille. Thank you, everyone. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.